Hello everybody, welcome to season two of Sequelizers, the show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies. If there's a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, we're going to try and fix it. This is episode one of season two, and I am your host, Jack Chambers. Joining me are the two teams of eponymous sequelizers. The team formerly known as Street Sharks, Mr. Matthew Stockton. Hey. And Mr. Tom Martin. Hey there. And the Plowman Ashen experience, Stuart Ashen. Hello. And Alec Plowman. Hey. This is our follow-up to our Alien 3 episode, our season finale for season one, and it felt appropriate that we would then tackle the Xenomorph's arch nemesis, the Predator, in Predator 2. I thought you were going to say society. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, kind of those as well. Uh, Predator 2 is an interesting one because a lot of people quite like it, and we've had that problem in season one. Yep. We had literally every episode, somebody was like, I quite like Exorcist 2, or I like Jaws 2. No, Who you don't. Exorcist there two? were three <laughs> tweets. Three, three tweets. tweets. Can we find Goodness. out where they live so we can avoid them? Probably Norwich. <laughs> can, we, can we send Pazuzu to them? I actually had a lot of people. I think this one has been the one, the few people that I've mentioned, which has been very few people that we're tackling Predator 2 this season. It has been, been the most people saying, what? Predator 2 is an amazing film. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because I was recently listening to um, comic book creator Anthony Johnston has a podcast called Unjustly Maligned, where he has guests on who kind of defend things that are unjustly maligned by the public or by the box office, whatever it can be, films, TVs, movies. And he had fellow comic creator Ed Brisson on and he was defending Predator 2. And they actually came up with some good arguments and I really like the both and they're both eloquent and intelligent guys and came up with a good argument, but I still don't like it. Because I think it's a tolerable, acceptable film. I think it yeah. does what it does reasonably well. The problem is that it followed a really, really good action film. Yeah. And a really good sci-fi film. It's, it's a frustrating movie because I think... Uh, and I don't think it's terrible, and I think there's a lot redeemable in it. Yeah. But there also feels like there is a lot of wasted potential, and you do have to look a bit more to 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 get something out of it. Yeah. And I think, given as you said, just how well crafted the first Predator is, because mm. that's an amazing bit of film craft, right down to crazy details you don't even think about. When we were doing some research for this, we found an article talking about the hidden genius of the original Predator. Mm. Something that pointed out is that Blaine's uh, I Ain't Got Time to Bleed line mm. in the original Predator is foreshadowing because when he gets shot by the Predator, the laser blast cauterizes the wound so he literally yeah. doesn't have time to bleed. Ah. It's just little throwaway things like that. It's such an attention to detail movie that you mm. don't even realize until the internet tells you. <laughs> but Predator 2 does have Gary Boosie. So, you know, it swings does. and roundabouts. It does. <laughs> so, and some weird-ass jokes from Bill uh, Paxton. Oh, as well. that's yeah. not Pullman. Don't worry. Paxton. Yeah, it's restrain Paxton yourself there, Stuart. Bill So from the feedback episode, our most recent episode, a lot of people said they wanted a little bit of context of not only the original film, but why the sequel didn't quite live up to the mm. expectations and things like that. So... To give some context, the first Predator came out in 1987. It was a huge hit. It made over five times its own budget back. It was a huge box office hit. It was pretty low budget. It was like 13 to $15 million budget mm. and made like 80-something in the box office. Um, then this followed up in 1990 in the US and 91 in the UK and made just over twice the budget and factoring and marketing and things like that it usually means it hasn't made its budget mm. the golden rule is double the budget if you include marketing and yeah. Yeah. it basically didn't do that 
it's it's become this weird kind of iconic character now. Like Predator has so yeah. surpassed its original. Well, there were so many stages and... where it could have been a terrible piece of shit. Yes. Have yeah. you seen the original I Predator have. design yeah. where it sort of looks a bit like a bird? Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. With John Claude Van Damme. Huge long there. neck. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. So yeah, this this sequel follows three years after the original, but is filmed in 1989, released in 1990, set in 1997. The crazy distant future mm. of 1997. Where they apparently have like special guns and all kinds of stuff that in six years would. Uh... Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing, and I think that's one of my main problems with it because I love like Blade Runner is my favorite movie of all time. I love Good Man, Good future like dystopian kind of things, and it's it's weird how they chose 1997. They could have gone. 2077 or something and gone a bit I wonder if that's a Terminator thing but it, it might be actually um, it turns out there was a bunch of budget problems and they couldn't get funding they wanted to go further into the future right? and basically the studio was like yeah we don't that. have the budget for flying cars and stuff like that so you're kind of stuck with weird guns and a flying disc and you'll be happy with it basically and Danny Glover and Danny Glover yeah well, it's, they, it's weird because they do do the the dystopian thing there's a, there's a touch of Robocop and a Frank Miller yeah, comics of the era in the, especially in the news reports don't they have hardcore it's very Frank Miller-esque yeah, yeah it's, it's very Dark Knight Returns if, for those of you who know comics that's kind of a, a trope used by classic creator Frank Miller of having these talking heads talking about the main character and hyping everything up and being these kind of weird plot device and that's very much a trope of the late 80s this being this is Robo basically Cop an 80s movie all of the other mm. kind of action films of that yeah. time Casey Wong and all those yep. yeah. exactly exactly and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with April O'Neil it's, yeah, it's yeah. a common thing in the late 80s and for want of a better description this is basically an 80s movie mm. oh it is definitely but it's not changing into a 90s film at all it's it not 90s yet yeah, yeah, yeah carrying exactly. on with more of the same and saying it's in the future but not actually you know being futuristic so. exactly um, I wanted to also give a quick little synopsis because a few people had requested that if you have not seen Predator 2 for whatever reason I'll give a little quick synopsis here because quite a few people requested it if they haven't seen it just completely unfamiliar with it Mm. give context to the first movie and now give a synopsis for the the sequel we're trying to fix so LAPD Lieutenant Mike Harrigan played by Danny Glover and his cocky detective partner Jerry Lambert soon realised that what seemed to a bloody feud between voodoo high priest King Willie his Jamaican gangs and Roman Vega's Colombian drug gang is actually a work of a scary third party. Peter Keyes and his federal team shield the crime scene even from the LAPD, but after forensics prove it must be alien, but after forensics prove it must be of alien source, the chase brings them all together for a new hunt. And our pitches will be just as short this season. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I lie. So, Sequelizer's bite size. <laughs> yeah, we kind of hinted at that Schwarzenegger was what he, they tried to bring him back for the sequel but he had a dispute over salary because like I said he was basically the hottest actor in the world at that point yeah. and they ended up going with Danny Glover instead because we couldn't get Schwarzenegger why not go Danny Glover I guess <laughs> sure <laughs> Danny Glover's out. actually very good in it though he's Glo- very Glover is one of the highlights credible yeah, protagonist absolutely. and a very different kind of protagonist to Arnold and they make that they make that work really well I, think. I don't know to me he's still very just Oh, I've just come off of Lethal Weapon. It's still kind of arguably doing Lethal Weapon. He's basically yeah. his character just keep, from Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah, I'll just keep being a murder, basically. Yeah, but I think it works. To put it into context of the other films we've talked about, it's a 6.2 on IMDb, which is about... Slightly, right. slightly, slightly higher level, yeah. than what we yeah. usually do. Most of season one was like 5.5, 5.7. 
then we have course had Exorcist 2 was like a 3.8 or whatever it was of course and uh, yeah 6.2 it's the higher end it's not quite as high as Pirates of the Caribbean 2 mm. because I just realised how many times Danny Glover has played that kind of oh he's a cop and he's a bit grizzled and he's just come off Lethal Weapon that's basically Danny Glover's got, entire yeah, career right yeah Dredger 2 wasn't it um, The Colour Purple Saw. <laughs> <laughs> I saw uh, like an obscure Nicolas Cage film called Tokarev and Danny oh, Glover's in it, doing yeah. the same character again. That's, uh, well, to be fair, recent Danny Glover, much like recent Nicolas Cage's. Yeah, I'll take what I can get. So now we have some context and a synopsis. Let's move on to what was the usual kind of starting segment of the show. Why does it need sequelizing? I don't think it lives up to the promise of the original. Um, I don't think as a sequel it, it, it obviously does something different, which is, as we've discussed before, kind of good sequels do. It moves the location, changes the protagonist, but I think... It really suffers from the lack of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think you realise just how much he kind of gelled everything together. His supporting cast in the first one is fantastic yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah, this, this is a key thing, I think. Ultimately, very interesting setting and, and story, just very poor execution. Uh, it could have been really, really good, arguably. And, and the thing about, you, know, you talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger being hot shit and being really the, you know, the key focus. If you think about acting names and such in Predator, the first one, as far as people being identifying people, people know those characters uh, more than they know the actors now. I mean, Jesse Ventura, yeah, being, you know, being into the uh, wrestling scene at the time. And was he what, governor at that time? He, I don't well? think no, that's not yet. until about 2000. Okay, yeah, it was okay. much later, Fair yeah. Enough. And um, all these different characters. And Shane Black being in it, for example. Again, yeah, yeah. Known, more as a, known more as a writer and, and things than an actual actor at the time, I'm pretty sure. Um, well, you've got loads of those, those just great 80s action guys like bill duke is in it as yeah. well he's great in it oh, bill duke. yeah it's it's a it's a great cast it's, yeah um and then you've got what should be a really good cast on paper again this feel predator 2 feels like a sequelized thing already it's in an urban setting it's very mm. different but it has the same all the, the quintessential future. elements it's the future <laughs> there's some interestingly shaped guns and drugs drugs are bad um because it's you know I think late 80s and 90s. the problem is it really feels compromised it feels like there's a great concept there that's been hamstrung by budgetary restraints by studio restraints mm. um and it falls into a trap um of being compromised, I think, because it is a sequel. Because people go, oh, well, everyone loved Predator, so we can bank on another Predator being a yeah. being yeah. A, a, a box office draw, so let's just cut some of that stuff out. Even just the way it's lit, I think... I mean, I was amazed... Oh, it's a weird, to, weird I was amazed is, to yeah. discover that Stan Winston was still doing the visual effects because the lighting on it makes the suit look so fake. Yeah, it's, it looks really rubbery yeah. and terrible, yeah. Compared to the, the suit in the first one, which is completely convincing. And then you find out it's the same effects company. It's just a... Um, it's the fact they're trying to go for a hazy, summary you know, almost slightly, not post-apocalyptic, but a very it's dystopian, dystopian, yeah, exactly, it, yeah. dystopian future, whereby it is literally this, oh my god, LA's run to shit. If you thought it was bad now, oh my god. And to be fair, the LA riots were coming at some point. Yeah. So it did get really bad. But that's the point. It it has this sort of nasty, grungy look, which at the time is an interesting artistic it's choice. It's a Blade Runner vibe. I mentioned Blade Runner yeah, earlier. It's but it just also of, falls on its fucking face. There's you lots think, of mm. steam in the streets for no reason and yeah. lots of smoke everywhere. Again, that contributes to it feeling cheap, doesn't it? It's like they yeah. didn't have enough time to set up lighting and they're yeah. covering up their shit sets with lots it's of smoke and stuff. Exactly. Hey, as a cinematographer, everyone loves backlighting, backlighting haze, but yeah, you know, no. haze is good. As a director, haze needs to stop Music video from 1983. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
on the contrary, I would say that's exactly what I want my predator. Have you just spoiled your own pitch? Oh, I've done it again. You casting 70s musicians again. Cliff Cliff Richard as the predator. I was going to like Kevin Michael singing the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Wow. Another problem I have with it is the Predator redesign is just a bit mm. weird and you could have kind of... Ca- I get that it's like individuals of the same species and stuff, but I was reading an article um, earlier this week that was basically it's full of racist undertones, if you really yeah, look at it. Yeah, it really is. There's like, hey, all the black people and all the brown people are fighting each other and they're all doing drugs and they're the cause of the problems in LA. And you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. And the Predator has dreadlocks and like... I can't. I think it was Roger Ebert that said something like the design is kind of more. He used the term urbanized, and it's yeah. basically like mm-hmm. got like tribal designs on it, and obviously they've got the dreadlock look to the to the helmet and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's basically kind of an analogy for a, a big African American guy. And I was like, oh, that's not good. It's a. Really... I don't know if that's a conscious decision. No, design, no, no, or if no. It's a I don't know. I, I couldn't unfor- say whether it is or it isn't. But at the same time, it's one of the things. Looking back retrospectively, you can go, yeah, there's a problem with this. Yeah, I, I, mm. like you mentioned with the LA riots and things like that. Racial yeah, tensions in LA exactly. at that time were not. And what's great. what's your um your your lead bad guys? A voodoo guy. It's like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get it, but bits. yeah. Mm. Yeah. It it is very much a film of its era and it feels like uh there's there's a lot of the concerns of late eighties conservative America reflected in it. Speaking um, of Frank Miller and things like that, yeah. you get yeah. the kind of talking head things often address the like socio political situation yeah. at the time as well and it's yeah, it's all a bit weird and kind of not, not comfortable. Yeah. I'd I'd like I said, I don't know if it's an unfortunate accident of the design I would like to, think so. to this setting or so. if it's a unfortunate conscious decision by some people involved i hope not i hope it's a bit of an accident i mean ultimately nobody says oh this predator guy's tall and muscular and lean and got dreadlocks and he's in the jungle and and because again arguably racist connotation no one says that but again in that setting it feels different and again like you said the fact that all the antagonists are not white and like voodoo yeah except for yeah 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 well gary Busey is but then um, i guess (laughs) most of um Danny Glover's team isn't white either, though. That's well, the thing. Danny Glover's uh, him and his uh, in the Latino part and things like that. It's all very well. Then again, that's meant to represent the diversification. Yeah, it's of, meant to be. Yeah, uh, Los Angeles makes sense. And presumably, especially in future LA, in the same way that you get in something like Blade Runner, it's this idea that it's even more that's ethnically yeah. diverse. Yeah. Cultural melting global. pot. Yeah. Which again is a, much like on paper what we would arguably do in a sequelizers thing, stepping away from an all or predominantly white cast. Well, actually, no, I've said that out loud. Predator actually has a really nice, yeah, the best cast. Yeah, yeah it's got quite. Uh, a I take that back. What what we can conclude here once again is a huge part of the problem is that the original Predator sets the bar so high because so it does Absolutely. so much right. Yeah. Uh, that um, in, in a sea of action films that are very disposable at the time, this one felt. Like it took not not that it took itself seriously. It was serious. It did every. It's a really stupid film, arguably, but it's really good, and the execution is exceptionally good, and it takes itself very seriously. And it's also really like it's it's really tense. Like it's it's yeah. really it's 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 not just. I mean, it's scary at points. But I actually remember when we were at college, we actually studied it as an exercise in intention and like right, create right. the creation and 
as kind of uh, continuation mm. and release of tension and, and how it how it did it and it is great it's, it's kind of a thriller mm. in a way oh absolutely as yeah, as, yeah as much as an action film or arguably kind of a sci-fi or even a horror and it kind of combines lots of those different elements you know it's got the kind of body horror elements it's got that kind of military kind of sci-fi military kind of thing going on from aliens it's got it takes a lot of really kind of popular I guess 80s action movie tropes and kind of smashes them together really really effectively because effectively speaking you've got the quintessential best of everybody you've got every well not every but you've got a, a very broad cast you've got um they're all arguably physical adonises they're all very um hench as fuck they're all armed to the teeth and all of them are terrified and they get walked over completely they you yeah. know one barely makes out alive it is the thing to say the audience of like look at all these action heroes you love look at all these people who are the you know the epitome of the 80s with the shredded muscles this guy just beat commando and apollo creed yeah, yeah. and everyone else <laughs> exactly well. and it's like and i can't even really see him yeah. and there's one of him Shit, are we in trouble? That kind of thing. I think the other thing that the original Predator does really well in that respect is it takes its time to build up oh, your God, yeah. definitely um, interest and investment in those characters in a way that Predator 2 doesn't give you the space for. Because apart from Danny Glover, everybody else is kind of disposable. Basically, expandable. I don't yeah, think yeah. any of them are likable in, in Predator 2 yeah. either. Yeah, there is. A, because it's the inner city, um, like cop thing there's just this real jackassery that runs yeah. through it. yeah but it's cops versus military i think there's not the there's not the kind of you've got that kind of um you know what's wrong dylan got you pushing too many pencils kind of like ridiculous yeah, homoerotic yeah. like uh kind of like <laughs> muscle shot you son of a bitch oh. but, oh, it, but it's true you kind of feel you really you really feel for it when carl weathers has that arm taken off so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're you're like, missing out on that's his that's, yeah, yeah. That's, his, that's, that's his that's his shaking arnie hands it's because so, it's because uh, arnie we can do it that's first his place. shaking arnie it is shaking arnie. Arnie with this hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get whipped off. Never so wash it again. With his hand and shook on his hand. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Team Schwarzenegger. So something I wanted to address before we move on to your, I'm sure, beautiful, wonderful yeah, educational beautiful. pitches. We'll see. Is this sets up the Alien vs. Predator time travel lore larger universe thing? It does. How do we feel about that? Not, obviously well, it not was, spoiling I re- your pitches or anything I, like that. I but... read at the time that it was, a, it was obviously it was a, a, only ever meant to be like a really kind of like in-jokey yeah, throwaway reference. Yes. Throw reference. They didn't get permission for them. They just chucked the xenomorph in the back there, apparently. Yeah, I'd, I'd the read that. The skull that's in the ship. Yeah, that's right. And there, like, there's some other like... It, see what happens. As a kid, I loved it because I was like, oh, this is... Again, that's in the same way that I can't imagine being a child now and thinking, oh, I mean, oh, I'm, as an adult, I'm watching Avengers and going, Jesus Christ, I'm in the same film. Right, but as yeah. a child, it's like a normal thing. Now. It was my it's... first experience of like connected cinematic yeah. universe yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Like, holy shit, these films intertwine and my mm. my first experience with Predator Two was quite odd because I was about five, and I watched <laughs> oh, good. I watched it accidentally at like two o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep for whatever reason. Mm. I just got up and I was just like, "Oh, the TV's been left on. My dad's asleep." And I just and there was some like meat freezer going on. I'm a lifelong vegetarian. I barely know what a meat freezer is. I'm like, "What is this?" Okay, that guy's just been cut in half. That's interesting. Oh, that guy's been skinned. Is that Gary Busey? <laughs> <laughs> Even as a five-year-old, I knew oh, that Gary Busey. Uh, and yeah, it was a very weird. Like, it's a pivotal moment. In it's the kind of first adult movie I watched, and it was by yeah. accident at two o'clock in the morning. That's a very similar and story to my friend. Shaped who, me ever since. Who what? Who got? Who's seen our grandparents? Sat him in front of Alien, aged about four. And then he didn't sleep for two months because he was absolutely oh, yeah. scared shitless. I think yeah. Alien is way scarier. Yeah, that's my point. Would be a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a yeah. terrifying like yeah. early movie experience. <laughs> it really would. Um, they showed us threads in primary school. You thought we'd get that. Jesus really? fuck! They showed you what? <laughs> Christ. 
the incredibly depressing post-nuclear war intense. film. Whoa! Threads, uh, Threads is a fucking nightmare of a movie. Yeah. It's, um, it's also the plot of our predecessor. <laughs> Fuck, I thought I had that. Threaditor. Oh! Thread- and uh, the Plowman Ashton experience of one episode. <laughs> Congratulations! Who had easy. the best? Who had the best pun? I can see. Yeah. It was a secret competition. Puns. So, how do we feel about the law and, and the fact that they're time travelers and I must setting been. that whole thing up? Are you, are you guys they, for it? They're not. It? I didn't. Well, are they supposed to be time travelers? He gives them the flintlock pistol. But at I the just end. read it that it, they have around, been around, around for forever. hundreds of years. Oh, maybe, which maybe. they also do in other Alien versus Predator yeah, stuff, where yeah. they go back um, Lion Temple things. Way, yeah, way further. That's in true. Time. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. sorry, time travel is probably not the correct yeah. word. Just they've been around yeah. for a while, yeah. and they, yeah. yeah. But yeah. to to answer the question, I I like the idea of it because I think sometimes sometimes when these things get put together, they feel really forced. But there's a total logic to oh, yeah, it works Alien vs. Yeah. Predator. And it's produced lots of great media, just unfortunately not in film form. Absolutely. If you've yeah. got Agreed. books and you've got a comics and you've got a video games... We mentioned, we mentioned yeah, the comic stuff. series yeah, yeah, on yeah. the feedback mm-hmm. episode, didn't we? Yeah. A lot of it's just the execution of trying to bring those kind of... I think it's like pre-Marvel having done it, it's bringing those kind of interconnected cinematic universes to life. And yeah, they just... Which I think was... Something that uh, people kept discussing a lot and never had the balls to go through with. It was almost like, meh, this might not work. But there were so many, you know, near misses where they'd think, oh, we'll just cross this over with this. Because TV was doing it all the time. Yeah. Way back in the 50s when TV started up. And it's just like, the ratings aren't doing great. We'll punch in and like Lucy comes into the show. Oh my God, yeah, oh, Superman exactly. comes into I Love Lucy. Uh, that could have been phrased better. And, um, <laughs> and, um, she's a lucky woman. <laughs> And faster uh, than a speeding bullet. Uh, Wink. Um, yeah. So, but the, the, so it was always possible in film. It's just the idea of the sequel nature and why would you bother and spin off and things. It was never really explored until, frankly, very recently. Yeah. Um. Funny thing with uh, first Alien vs Predator film that I read, and I'm not sure if it is true, but apparently. Jim Cameron once came in with a pitch for an Alien vs Predator movie. I'm surprised. I can well believe it. Most people did. And um, they turned him down because Paul uh, W S Anderson was cheaper. Cheaper, that's right. And which is why it goes to show uh, buy cheap, buy twice. Yeah, (laughs) that's why they're now two. Thomas Anderson. I still can't believe that Wes Anderson uh, instead. Oh, oh. No, no. no. <laughs> I was going to have much more alien. purple in it. I love film, Wes Anderson, but, uh, but no. I was yeah. going to follow up with uh, all Wes Craven, and then thought that's actually a perfectly Some, reasonable idea. Yeah, that's, that's not a, a bad idea for our pitch. Yeah. yeah, I like it. I can't believe that Predators came out seven years ago. I thought it only came out like two years ago. Yeah, well, that's, mm. yeah. I always seem to On think that from two thousand to two thousand seventeen is the same year. Yeah, I'm like, oh, so this wasn't long ago. It was a decade ago. Oh God. Oh God! What year is it? What year? No, but interesting you bring that up. But the fact that um, because I will confess, as much as we're quite happy with our predator pitch, and hopefully you will be too, um, we had an issue to start with because we looked at Predator Two, Alien vs Predator, and Predators, which all try three arguably very different things, and all of them fall on their fucking face. So we were thinking, well, we're trying to do something different, samey, whatever things, and there's so many things you can do without being so much of a departure or whatever. But all three of them feel like sequelizer pitches, and all three of them should have worked. Arguably, mm. it goes literally in that order where it goes Predators Two, yeah, that's not bad. I mean, it's, it's not fine, great, but it's yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's acceptable. AVP, yeah, it's not great. I mean, I see what you did there, but eh. and Predators, 
I, it's such a forgettable film. It really is. It's so forgettable. I've seen it twice. I couldn't tell you what happened. No, I've seen it once. Adrian Brody's in it. Lawrence Fishburne's a very strange character, sure. isn't it? Oh, Lawrence Fishburne, who yeah, was clearly supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or Danny Glover. Because he's the guy who survived the earlier Predator attack. He's seen them before. The whole idea is that they're supposed to have beamed him to the Predator planet. Right, right. Yeah, and he's gone insane because he's had to live there fending off Predators Which for again, his entire life. Kind of, I guess, a little bit yeah. like how Sean Connery was meant to be the gameskeeper in Skyfall. Yeah, yeah very yeah, similar. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think budget um, didn't permit and yeah. everything else. And we've else. got another one coming up from Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Moving yeah, on. Do we have a title for that yet? Yeah, Predator. Yeah. I've never <laughs> seen not AVP two. Is it as bad it's as they say? It's fucking awful. Requiem's yeah. terrible. Uh, and I don't mean like, it's not hideously offensive. It's just really not good. And like <laughs> um, how you described the Emoji movie, just not like, like violently offensively bad. Just yeah, just yeah, bad. I, yeah, I would go so far awesome as to say that nonsense. AVP two was violently offensive. I fucking sure. hate that movie. It does make the classic mistake of saying, you know what, this uh, <laughs> these aliens and uh, Predator films need people. Just lots more lots people. people. Yeah, all like, the people. Yeah, the main characters need to be a, people and not aliens or indeed the predators. Yeah, not great. <sighs> so, speaking of all that bullshit, <laughs> let's get to it. your bullshit next. Yes. Hey! hey. Uh, just bullshit. so you all know, uh, I hope you enjoyed that uh, constructive change of the show thanks to your feedback. Um, are we now an hour and a half into the show? Jack? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. fun. Have fun with the edit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Season man. two might be slightly longer. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. I'm. I'm ready. So let's move on to the pitches, and I'm going to come to the Ashen Plowman experience first. Very pleased to hear that. Just in case there are any plot points repeated between the two. Because now we'll sound original. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, that's what we like. Cunning. I'm a little disappointed you haven't called them Ashen versus Plowman AVP. Oh! oh! <laughs> You're a genius, Matthew. That's true. Now let's see if I put, we put that in pitch form. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! We just wrote Doodia a thousand times. But in Damn it, we only wrote it 500? Oh, we're going to win. Ours is just drawings of cocks. That's <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. time. Yeah. Anyway, over to you guys first. I need team names is the first thing. To catch a predator. <laughs> <laughs> Two. <laughs> to uh, catch a predator. Okay. Very good. And the team formerly known as Street Sharks. Oh, we, we had uh, a debate in the feedback oh episode God. about what we're going to do. We figured it out. We figured it out, yeah. And this is, uh, this is like a cryptic crossword for everybody for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, you might think that, but we couldn't possibly comment. Yeah. Um, do you want to entertain these people? Yeah, yeah, we're called the uh, the apex predators. Mm. Okay, it's, uh, it's a little bit like uh, I can't think of any sort of apex I can't predators. Think of any, uh, apex predators. Imagine if someone was on the land that yeah. should be in the sea. sea. Yeah. <laughs> oh wonder. my I wonder. god! <laughs> oh, has that just dropped, Alec? Has that just dropped? Oh. Like a truth bomb in your mind? Or a mic from my hand? Yeah. Mic drop. Jesus. Yeah. I, I, you guys are just terrible people. <laughs> Well, the thing is, we kind of, I wish you could see the chat transcript of where we figured this out. We were just like, hey, wait a second. Why don't we, uh, why don't we just do this? Why don't we do this? So it's, you wait for the rest of the season. Is this the theme for the entire, it's going to be variations on fucking street shows. Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. I promised you cryptic crossword variations on street shows. Maybe. I mean, no, we've not said. Has anyone said that? Hey, hey, hey! We, should we, we uh, should we just should we just move on with the pictures then? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. To catch a predator, your 
introduction, please. Our film is set in 1990, and it is called Predators. Oh. Interesting. Which okay. we stole from another film also called Aliens. <laughs> also called Romancing the Stone. <laughs> oh my god. We should have done that. Oh, Romancing we should have done that. The predator. Romancing the Predator. <laughs> our, uh, our cast. Um, we have the character of Lillian Green, played by Vanessa Williams. Mm-hmm. Like it. Mike Harrigan, played by Danny Glover. Okay. Oh, oh, FBI agent Peter Keys, played by <laughs> shit Peter Robert Campbell. Patrick. Oh, oh nice. Okay. Yeah. Ain't no boosy here, boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, with uh, Phil Heineman return. Uh, sorry, uh, Phil Heineman once again played by uh, Robert Davi, as in the original film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, El Scorpio. Uh, once again played by Henry Kingy and King Willie, once again played by Calvin Lockhart. Um, then we have Kevin Peter Hall returning as First Predator. Ooh. First Predator. Predator the first. Tom, first of his name. <laughs> Tom Woodruff Jr. as the second Predator. Oh, and interesting. Kane Hodder as the third Predator. Which is a name that anybody that knows the Friday the Thirteenth film. Yeah, yeah I was going to say because he is Jason Voorhees. Mm. Um, Tom Woodruff Jr. is also uh, part of the special effects team, uh, Amalgamated Dynamics, who are doing special effects for this movie. Tom Woodruff Jr. Uh, okay. was in um, the Monster Squad film, I think. Well, he's 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 a. He's a guy in suits. Him, yeah, and, him Gilman, and Alec Gillis uh, designed a lot of the suits. But he's in there because he was the alien in Alien 3. Oh, and right. he's also done a, a, like a bunch of AVP mm-hmm. movies. And, right, right, right. But loads of... He's a, he's a great actor for being a guy in a suit. And we wanted um, we wanted guys that could match up to, to Kevin Peter Hall in terms of creating that presence. So. Do you think he'd... Um... I've been all right in a Hawk alien suit. <laughs> yes, I do. I think I it'd think... be a bit big, Tom. Which <laughs> yeah, I, think I think it may be a problem with the whole concept. <laughs> I, uh, I personally think he would have been fucking magnificent. But um... it's like a Hawk albatross or oh, no. albatross alien. Anyway, for the director of this film, we have chosen Catherine Bigelow. Oh, oh good shit. shout! Good shout! Straight off dark, uh, point blank. Yes, near dark was what swung it for us, really. Mm. Uh, but Point Break uh, no yeah yeah that's a good call I like well. that yeah, same yeah. time so, very good um, Strange Days yeah yeah film. although that oh, Strange would be Days is good. after this I think so let's so, well, United United, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, director of photography we have got Adam Greenberg behind the lens who uh, I'm surprised you don't know that yeah name, no Tom. I do know um, I, I know the name I just can't play. I, I can even picture his face um, I can't Carol. picture his face Worked or his name on, so. uh, the original Terminator uh-huh. that's um I mean, he's done loads of stuff. So he's done a lot of stuff. Right, but, right. Um, he's one of those people, actually, when I was re- when I was looking up DOPs, this is something I do, um, and was, actually, no, I think he was doing something on the ASC Instagram feed, and I was like, oh, shit, yeah, he's shot loads of stuff that I know of. Right, as previously mentioned, special effects by Amalgamated Dynamics. Good call. they're bloody mm-hmm. good at that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Music by Alan Silvestri. Yep, so carry on from the yep. same. Yep. Yeah, excellent there. choice. Yep, yep. absolutely. That's a damn good theme. Yeah, I love the Predator theme. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's such a pity that most of the Marvel stuff he's done is so tuneless. I know. Yeah. Mm. I, to be fair, it's like when you say, um, oh, he's going to cause... I, mean, I, I don't mind the Avengers theme. I think but it's The Avengers it, theme is while, like four notes. That's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's such a lazy phone. And we think, oh. this man did oh, Back to the Future and Predator. Uh, he's, he's working at Q Music. I don't think it's really his That's spot. also I a good point. I would give you the yeah. movies yeah. are made these days. Directors don't do it. Just give 
the composer an idea, they will create something for you, tweak it with them, that's how it should be. Not like, I like how this sounds in this film, can you make it sound the same, but not the same. Just is exactly. not professional. There's a really Different. interesting video on YouTube about that, which is just there is. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. I think it's on Every Frame Painting, isn't it, or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's really, sounds, really good. Sounds about right. And finally, Underpass Graffiti, based on original designs by Peter Frampton. <laughs> Yes. Oh, and you. Yes. They've got. You a, they've got a running joke as well, shots. motherfuckers. Oh, I see. You just thought we is. were out of the game. Yeah. Oh, Frampton yeah. returns. Yeah. See how it is. Frampton, he's got to be connected to everything, but he needs to have a more tenuous link. He is your time. Stan Lee. Yeah. He just I'm surprised that you exactly. haven't said something like "Based on a dream once dreamt by Peter Frampton" or something he like the, that. He is the. Uh, he is Uatu, the Watcher of your cinematic universe. Yes. All of your unrelated films. All of your pitches are in the same cinematic yeah. universe. They're all like, cheese the Frampton Frampton verse. Aladdin, Predator. Frampton verse. He goes yeah. to sleep, has a lot of cheese before he dies, and goes, oh, and wakes up with this and writes a song about it. <laughs> no, he's always behind the scenes. Okay. Puppet master. So Unless it's a Pyrus movie. Oh, yeah, yeah then Christ, he's then the boat. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got to get Right. So over to the Apex Predators. Mm-hmm. Okay, so part of the feedback episode was the idea about keeping up with all the characters and things. Good fucking luck. Played by. So, played yeah, by. played by. Played by. So, uh, we're releasing this in 1990, three years after Predator. It will be set in 1990. But then, to be fair, the first Predator is one of those weird, sort of Vietnam y kind of yeah. things. It never really establishes exactly when it is. So, we've gone for the same aesthetic, really, but let's say it's 1990. Um, direct again, John McTiernan, because. McTinnan's good. No yep, reason not yep, to bring yep, back, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, returning cast will be Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dutch Ooh, and ooh. Kevin Peter Hall as predator. one of the Predators. Yeah. Or just Predator. So, uh, New cast, Mickey Rourke as Holland. Mickey Rourke at this point had been Angel Heart and he goes on to do... Then he, then he literally leaves acting go yeah. punch people in the face. His face gets destroyed. Yep. <laughs> and then he comes back and does Man on Fire and Sin City and stuff. So you've but... got two characters so far. One called Dutch, one called Holland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, there may be a theme. Is he playing all of Holland? Yeah. Just the windmills. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the female lead the called Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got Michael Bean. As playing... Tulip. <laughs> <laughs> playing Brady. Fresh off of Terminator and Aliens, and then he goes on to do Tombstone and other things. Uh, Tony Todd as Fisher. He's only just done, um, well, he's not just done, he's done Platoon. He's going to go on to do the Night of the Living Dead remake and Candyman. Really like Tony Todd. Apparently, he's a very sweaty man, but I like that because it will work well for our film <laughs> in the heat. Where the <laughs> fuck did you find out that he's a sweaty man? Do you have uh, personal experience the Director's this? commentary for um, Sweaty Men. <laughs> Final Destination. Oh, nice. yeah. So anyway, that'll, that'll work well with the infrared vision. Then it will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Andre Brower uh, Simmons, who's in Glory and City of Angels, he's most recently in Brooklyn Nine Nine as the uh, the captain. Mm. Very yes, cool yes, guy. Yes. Uh, we got Elias Cotius. If I can, don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but he's a great actor. And I kept for uh, my childhood was convinced he was um, Robert De Niro because he looks very similar. So he was in at this point he was Casey Jones in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films, and he goes on to be in the Prophecy and the Thin Red Line, other stuff. Really, really good underrated actor. Uh, we got Clancy Brown as Worth. This is off Highlander. He goes on to do the Shawshank Redemption and Starship Troopers. He's also Lex Luthor in all the DC animated That's stuff. True. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We've got Al Matthews as Jones, who is in Aliens and The Fifth Element. Al Matthews is... Um, I forgot his fucking character's name now. Edit the soundtrack. So, Apone. Apone, yeah. Al Matthews plays um, Apone, the um, the captain or the sergeant in... Um, in uh, Aliens, so he's oh, the right. guy with the actual military experience. I was say, he's, a, he's actually yeah, uh, a yeah, a veteran. Exactly. Uh, we've got David Graff. Okay, David Graff 
uh, playing Robson. The only thing anyone knows Dave Graff from is Police Academy. That tall big bastard with a big bastard gun. Ah. Yeah. Okay. And we've also is he going to be a tall big bastard with a big bastard gun in this? You will have to find out. Mm. He's actually going to play a very small lady with no gun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> acting. Um, we've so. also got, for the final bit of casting, Michael Ironside as Emerson from Top Gun, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers as well. Nice. Our DP is Donald um, McAlpine, or McAlpin, uh, who, again, was the DP on Predator. Goes okay, on to do right, Patriot right. Games and Romeo and Juliet and the Edge. And again, I think he's a very credible individual. Bringing the team back together. Yeah, very much a reunion of what came before. And again, composer Alan Silvestri. Mm-hmm. And I guess you want our title as well. Yes, please. Oh, yeah. Uh, the title is simply Predator 2. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. What of it? Yeah. Come Fair at enough. me. Come at me, bro. bro. That's the sub that's colon. <laughs> Come, at, Come me, at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it was ahead of his time. You live in Lowe's. do you mad, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you lift? Do you lift, bro? Do you even lift, bro? Predator on the front cover shrugging. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, the Predator 2 poster wasn't that far off. That's, yeah, yeah. It is, just down, like, a, what? it is just a photo from the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just looking down the edge like, what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, back to to catch a predator. Okay, uh, ele- time for your elevator, elevator pitch, pitch, please. Yes, hunting season is open in New York City. Shit, as the NYPD's finest fight back against a new predator threat. Ooh, this sounds very similar to the original. It but... sounds very similar to ours. Yeah. If ours was completely different, Ooh. so. So you've gone. You've gone from west coast to east coast. That's interesting. Yes, shit. we have. Yes, nice. And the themes we'll be covering <laughs> are civilized man versus primal man, codes of honor, uniting against a common enemy, Stogden. Predators are badass. That is the main theme. <laughs> That's the, the main theme. theme, through this this theme. That should be the yeah. theme of every predator. Something movie. that we felt was somewhat lacking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yes. all of the AVPs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're much a so. bit wussy in the AVP movies. Mm. Uh, our elevator pitch is simply. A mercenary unit is deployed to Tanzania to investigate a fallen meteor, but inadvertently gets caught in the middle of an intergalactic deathmatch tournament. Sound very, very different. Good start to season two, boys. I'm I'm excited. Did we mention Tanzania is a small place in New York City? (laughs) (laughs) Little Tanzania. (laughs) Is it it like that time in the comics when Asgard just floated down to Earth and Tanzania is like 15 feet off the ground above New York for some reason? That, oh, yeah. um, the Arkansas, Siege. Oh, no, I meant the, the actual town above Arkansas. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who, who knows? Who cares? Comics. Okay. All right. Back to To Catch a Predator with your okay, full pitch. Let's do it. Let's get deep into it. Mississippi, 1955. A terrified 10-year-old black boy frantically sprints down the street. Two white men in their early 20s give chase while shouting racial slurs. He ducks into an alleyway and pauses, thinking that his would-be aggressors have disappeared. But before he can catch his breath, they emerge from the shadows, one brandishing a flick knife. They edge closer towards him. Then suddenly, there is the sound of a sickening crack, and the knife wielder stops in his tracks. Looking down, a metal spike has pierced his chest. He starts to scream, but the spike tears through his torso and he is silenced. Terrified, the second man starts to run. It is futile, however, as a spinning chakram-like weapon cuts him down. Frozen to the spot, the little boy looks towards his saviour. At first, it appears as if there is nothing there. 
but as a ray of light streams through the sky, the familiar silhouette of a predator glistens. I thought it was going to be Batman, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's racist for them. The child runs. New York, 1990. Detective Lillian Green leads a team in a dawn raid on a warehouse complex suspected to be a Colombian drug cartel stronghold. The team attempt to stealth into the building, but an inexperienced rookie gives their position away. Cartel goons pin down Green's team in a hail of fire. Meanwhile, in the heavily fortified centre of the complex, Colombian gang leader El Scorpio is brutally torturing members of a rival Jamaican drug gang. The sound of gunfire draws his attention, and he instructs his guards, heavily armed with military gar- heavily armed with military grade ordnance, to barricade the room. But, unbeknownst to Scorpio, the barricade has sealed his fate. Three predators, who have been silently and invisibly watching the proceedings from the rafters, descend. Chaos ensues. The gang attempt to fight back, but even with their heavy artillery, they are no match for the ultimate hunters. Green, whose squad have broken through the gang's defences, is drawn by the sound of screaming and gunfire. Frantically, she and her team try to break through the heavily barricaded door. An enforcer is brought in, and the door is finally opened. But it is too late. The carnage is over. Bodies litter the floor. Only El Scorpio remains, kneeling catatonic on the floor in a pool of blood. Before Green and her men can advance, however, an FBI team swarms the building, whisking Scorpio into a nearby unmarked van. The area is swiftly cordoned off. Agent Peter Keyes, who is leading the FBI team, confronts Green. He informs her that the situation is now under bureau jurisdiction and tells her to go home. Green is pissed. She demands that Keyes hand Scorpio into her custody for interrogation and wants to know where the FBI are taking him. Keyes responds that the Bureau intends to take Scorpio to a secure location to glean crucial information on Colombian drug smuggling routes. Green calls bullshit. She tells Keyes that she knows why the FBI are involved and it has nothing to do with drugs. This is a cover-up and she swears that she'll get to the bottom of it. The pair are about to come to blows when police captain Phil Heinemann arrives and breaks them up. Heinemann placates the FBI man and escorts a now fuming Green out of the building. Outside, he gives her a dressing down, saying that going against the Bureau as she did could have serious consequences. Green responds that there's something, not someone, behind this recent spate of gang murders and that the feds know about it. Heinemann says that Green is a good cop, but that her UFO-chasing bullshit has gone on long enough. Back at police headquarters, and word of Green's latest incident is spread. She arrives to find a mocked-up wanted poster for Mr. Spock pinned to her office door. <laughs> Green is a woman obsessed, her desk awash with UFO reports and annotated New York City maps. She wades through the papers, trying to find a document of some relevance to the recent case. Amidst the debris, she finds a torn photograph, a picture of her with a man who appears to be her husband. She stares at the picture and sighs before throwing it in the bin. She is disturbed by a knock at the door. A man in his mid-forties enters and introduces himself as Mike Harrigan. He's been assigned as Green's new partner. Green is hesitant. She says she doesn't need a partner and that, besides, being paired with her won't exactly do Mike any favours career-wise. Mike responds that he's well aware of Green's reputation, but he has an open mind. Besides, being the first NYPD officer to arrest E.T. could only lead to a promotion. Meanwhile... The Jamaican cartel, led by King Willie, attack a cocaine factory owned by the Colombians. Gang tensions have escalated following the warehouse incident. There is a brutal firefight. In the midst, three invisible assailants silently pick off a number of outlying gang members before disabling their cloaks and revealing themselves. 
Two predators tear into the remaining gang members and carnage once again ensues. But the third predator, seemingly lagging behind the others, falls to its knees and begins to convulse. The others turn, confused. Foaming at the mouth, the kneeling predator lets out a horrifying, ear-piercing scream. Its chest ruptures in a shower of green blood, with a pallid snake-like parasite emerging what? and scurrying what? away. Oh, Holy shit. With the predators distracted by this unexpected turn of events, King Willie, the sole survivor of the attack, is able to sneak outside. However, upon exiting the warehouse, he is bundled into a car, taken into custody by Agent Peter Keyes and his FBI goons, who have apparently been monitoring the situation. Post-work, Green and Harrigan drink in a bar. Green has had a skinful. Drinking is something she's clearly done a lot of in recent times. She asks Harrigan what prompted his move to New York and is surprised to discover he requested a transfer after hearing about a crazy, alien-obsessed cop in the Big Apple. Harrigan reveals that he believes her because of an encounter with a predator in his youth, the encounter that played out in the prologue, and that he's always wanted answers about that strange incident. As they talk, Green recounts how her suspicions were raised while investigating gangland murders in the city that didn't fit the usual M.O. The NYPD wasn't interested in the case, figuring that dead gang members were in everyone's best interest. But she delved deeper and eventually chanced upon a predator in the midst of a kill. She notes that they appear to be hunters, only attacking those that are armed and aggressive, worthy targets. She notes that she foolishly confronted the predator in a moment of rash-headedness, but that the predator did not fight back and instead fled. She was initially perplexed by this, until discovering that she was pregnant a few days later. She suspects that the predator was somehow able to detect this, which is a thing from Predator 2. I remember. I remember. Just for the audience. Do you remember, audience? Well done. Assuming you've seen Predator 2. (laughs) Green later suffered a miscarriage, though, and threw herself even further into her work to avoid dealing with her grief. This led to her estrangement from her husband, who saw her predator obsession as some kind of PTSD. She also notes the Bureau's recent interest in the case and how Keyes and his men have increasingly blocked her investigation. Their conversation is cut short by a news bulletin on the television. The FBI has taken King Willoughby into custody. Green curses Keyes, knowing that he is the one responsible and suspecting that the incident is once again predator-related. She notes that the Bureau must have resources that she doesn't and must somehow be tracking the predators to stay ahead of the game. A 7am start the next morning and a bleary-eyed Green arrives at her office to find a grinning Harrigan. He drops a file on her desk. I've got a couple of friends in the bureau. Turns out they're no fans of Keys either, so I pulled a couple of strings. Thought this might be of use to the investigation. The dossier contains a map of New York, with dots marking the Predator's hunting grounds. There is also a large X which Harrigan suspects is the base that they're operating out of. He tells Green that they've got to act quickly before Keys realises the document is missing but that they might finally get some answers. Green and Harrigan arrive at the location, the entrance to an abandoned, derelict subway station. They break in, narrowly avoiding several futuristic booby traps and making their way underground, and are surprised to find what appears to be a high-tech predator hunting lodge. Spears, guns, chakrams, bowlers and other predator tech are mounted on the walls, along with 40 or so human skulls, hunting trophies. Delving further, they find what appears to be sleeping quarters, as well as some kind of makeshift medical facility. It is on the floor of the medical facility that they discover a dead, crab-like creature with a long tail, unlike anything they have ever seen before. They ruminate on the dead crab, and what it could be, but they are cut off by the arrival of Keyes and his men. They've been rumbled. Keyes takes them into custody at a makeshift FBI base that has been set up near to the abandoned subway station. 
From a series of monitors, he watches the Predator base. His men have installed a number of hidden cameras covering every angle of the hideout. He reveals that the US government has been interested in the creatures since an incident involving a special forces team in the Guatemala jungle in 1987, i.e. the events of the original Predator. He says that the Predators, which are being traced, are imminently due to return to the base, and that his crack team of agents, kitted out in the latest high-tech gear, intend to capture them for study and possible bioweapon harvesting. What appears to be a Predator returns to the base, and Key's men move in for the ambush. But, as they approach, their alien-style helmet-mounted cameras reveal something very different. A fully grown pred alien proceeds to mow down the bureau agents, their cutting edge gear utterly useless against a creature this brutal. Nice. Both Harrigan and Green recognize that this creature is something different from the Predator, with one of Key's agents suggesting that the crab like creature they found may have something to do with it. Panicking, he's about to lose this new, even more powerful catch. Keys leads a new wave of men into the base. As Harrigan and Green watch the monitors, they see two Predators follow. Key's men are like lambs to the slaughter, prey to both the Pred Alien as well as the two normal Predators who are mowing down FBI agents while trying to nail the Pred Alien. Keys is cornered by the Pred Alien and attempts to go mano y mano in a final stand. The hybrid Xenomorph tongue blasts through his skull and he is killed. One of the Predators also squares off against it. He puts up more of a fight than Keys, but a tail through the chest similarly seals his fate. Unguarded, Harrigan and Green take their chance and escape, making their way into the Predator base. The scene is a bloodbath. They catch glimpse of the Predalien leaving the station down a subway line. Christ, that line leads to Fulton Street Station, Green says. We've got to kill that ugly motherfucker, Harrigan replies. If we don't, we're all fucked. At that moment, the remaining Predator steps out of the shadows. Harrigan and Green draw their guns, but the Predator doesn't attack. Instead, it presses a button on its wrist gauntlet and plays back a recording of Harrigan. We've got to kill that ugly motherfucker. If we don't, we're all fucked. <laughs> As the recording repeats, the Predator points to itself, then to the two cops. We've got to kill that ugly motherfucker. <laughs> As the trio leave, the Predator presses a button on its wrist gauntlet. A countdown in an alien language begins, and shortly afterwards the abandoned subway station violently explodes, destroying all evidence of the creature's presence there. <laughs> Fulton Street Station is plunged into chaos as the Pred Alien eviscerates rush hour commuters. I <laughs> <laughs> love the glee in your voice. There. That might be the single I'm just greatest. on my way home. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favourite line I've ever read on this on this show. Um, Goddamn Greater Anglia Rail! Yeah. <laughs> On-duty police officers tried to subdue the creature but are massacred. Electrical fires rage from stray gunshots and the building is literally torn apart by the beast. Harrigan, Green and the Predator arrive to the sound of screams. The throngs of people fleeing are so huge that they can't get through to where the Pred alien is. Three familiar dots appear as the Predator aims his shoulder cannon into the crowd, intending to disperse the civilians, but Green stops him. Green says they need to create a distraction to draw the creature away from the public into a space where they can corner it. Harrigan has a brainwave and makes a makeshift torch using fallen timber and a spark from the electrical fire. He waves it above the crowd and catches the Pred Alien's attention. The Pred Alien comes charging for him and Harrigan runs outside, opening a manhole cover and jumping down into the sewer. Green and the Predator give chase. Inside the sewer, a frantic Harrigan draws his pistol. His torch flickers, the flame dying and offering him little visibility in the underground darkness. He hears the demonic hissing of the now enraged Predalien, but cannot see it. Suddenly, it drops down from the ceiling, standing tall to reveal its full, imposing presence. 
Harrigan lets out a battle cry and fires a full clip into the creature's face. It cries in pain as acid blood flows and splatters Harrigan. The cop screams, blinded by the acid. Seeing the opportunity, the Predalien goes in for the kill. Descending into the sewer, Green and the Predator find Harrigan's body. There is little time to react, however, as the Predalien emerges and corners the two of them. Green raises her pistol, but the Predalien strikes her with its tail, wounding her and she is out of the fight. The Predator then removes all of his tech, his helmet, his battle cannon, and clenches his fists. The Predalien pounces and a brutal one-on-one fight begins. The Predator is tough, delivering massive blows to the already wounded Predalien, but the Predalien fights back hard. Both combatants are on their last legs, but the Predalien ultimately pins the Predator down. Its xenomorph tongue emerges for what looks to be a killer blow, but a Predator spear pierces its chest. The Predalien falls, the Predator frantically throwing it off as acid blood burns its skin. Behind it stands green. Back above ground in a deserted construction yard, the Predator patches itself up with its medical kit as green watches. The Predalien corpse sits by its side, a trophy. Now patched up, the Predator looks to the corpse. He pulls out the xenomorph tongue and offers it to Green. Green declines. The Predator is confused for a moment, but then seems to understand. The Predator stands and enters a series of commands on its wrist gauntlet. A camouflaged ship silently descends into the vicinity before coming into view. A door opens and the Predator is about to enter. But before it departs, however, it turns to Green, presenting her with the spear that delivered the final blow. She accepts the trophy and the Predator leaves. Mm. Wow. Th- then some hawk aliens come. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you salvaged a lot from uh, yeah. basically yeah. everything else. It's, yeah. it's nearly a good film. No, 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 so no I get that. Yeah, we, that yeah, was... we just we just pitched stuff from various other alien and predator things yeah. that we yeah. thought totally. that worked. Lot. We wish they'd done more with it. There was a lot so, of yeah. references to the yeah. original Alien and then to Aliens and obviously yeah. AVP, AVP as well. I'm I'm impressed. I liked it. I liked yeah, it a lot. Well, thank you. Yeah. Over to the Apex Predators now. Ten years have passed since the events in Predator. We open on a series of maps with intricate markings penned on them. Cigar smoke plumes over the readings as Dutch speaks with Emerson. Through dialogue we learn that Meteor has crashed in southeastern Africa near the foot of Kilimanjaro. Emerson recommends Holland to investigate, as he and his team have experienced on the continent. Dutch seems reluctant and explains he can head his own unit. Emerson politely but forcefully disagrees, stating these men have been training for this and to let them take this... Oh, fuck me, I'm so sorry, guys. Emerson politely but forcefully disagrees, stating these men have been training for this and to let them take this one. Dutch sits at a large desk, drawing deeply on a cigar. He explains his team had all the best training, but they were still unprepared. Emerson leans over the desk and says, this time it's different, you have prepared them. Silently, Dutch waves Emerson out of his office. Emerson salutes his commanding officer and exits. The camera then zooms in on a heavily marked area of the map. We cross dissolve to reveal two military jeeps hurtling through the lush Tanzanian forest. In the back, several heavily armed men bounce around, balancing themselves as the cars navigate the bumpy terrain. In one vehicle, Brady, Fisher, Bird and Worth, and in the other, Jones, Robson, Simmons and the unit leader, Holland. The atmosphere is calm and amiable, the men chatting about seemingly nothing. Eventually, the driver, a local man, says something to Holland, who simply nods and performs a hand gesture to his men. He then reaches out the car window and performs a similar gesture. In the other vehicle, the men acknowledge the signal and ready themselves. The cars come to a halt on the outskirts of a simple town, Mount Kilimanjaro towering behind it. Everything seems quiet as the mercenaries quickly and quietly file out of the jeeps and line themselves against buildings either side of the main road. As the jeeps speed away, kicking up clouds of dirt and dust, 
The group separate and file through the town, discreetly checking buildings and abandoned cars. Reconvening outside an abandoned building, the group's demeanour shifts to a relaxed one. Simmons theorises that the meteor landing spooked the natives, who simply up and left. Bird adds that living next to a volcano would make anyone jittery. Holland does a head count and asks where Robson is. Sauntering around a cafe, Robson searches behind the counter and spies a beer. Twisting off the cap, he knocks the drink back, sweat running down his face. Out of the corner of his vision, he sees a shadow looming in the corner of the room. Dropping the bottle, he raises his gun, but is immediately skewered by a pike. A series of clicks and hisses, followed by a long, sharp nasal inhalation, is heard before a deafening horn-like tone reverberates through the town. Hearing this, the rest of the unit scatter into an organised formation and filter to cover. A protracted, intense silence hangs as the intense sun beams mercilessly down on the armed men. Finally, Holland gives the command to fan out and locate Robson. After a few shots of the team scouring the town, Worth comes across a bloody spear tip sticking out of a wall and subtly summons the rest of the group to his position. The men enter the building carefully and are dismayed to find Robson's body pinned to the wall. Fisher goes to remove the spear, but Holland calls him away, stating it could be a trap. The remaining seven men delicately look around and Jones finds a strange neon powder. Simmons analyses the spear's trajectory and comes to the conclusion that its wielder was tall and has an extremely powerful arm. Worth and Jones discuss the potential of this being a return of the thing Dutch described. Holland carefully removing Robson's tags highlights that as Robson wasn't taken as a trophy, no one should jump to any conclusions just yet. As the creature comes to a stop, we pan up to reveal an armoured alien, very different in appearance to that of the Predators from the first film. A red light on the bracer on his arm is blinking repeatedly, emitting a beeping noise. Reaching into a pouch, the alien takes a generous pinch of neon powder and holds it in front of his helmet. A suction feature activates and the powder is inhaled, sending the alien into a quivering state. Absorbed by the effects, the alien fails to notice the shimmering camouflage shapes circling him. Coming to its senses, the alien readies his weapon, but a series of red laser-guided lights tracking him cause the alien to hesitate. One of the shimmering shapes drops its camouflage, revealing the race of predators we are familiar with. The predator slowly reaches for a wrist guard that plays a version of the horn-like sound effect from earlier. The surrounded hunter alien growls at his captors before they open fire and their target is effectively shredded with explosive blasts. The predator picks up a hexagonal metal token from the bloody debris, activates his camouflage, and silently they all disperse. With their guns drawn, the group investigate the town. They quietly discuss the potential adversary they're up against. Brady, who has been relatively quiet up until this point, posits that he's unsure about Dutch's cause and doesn't believe in creatures from outer space, but is all too aware of how cruel men can be, which is why he volunteered for this group. Simmons explains that the meteor crashed on the other side of town and wonders why they weren't dropped at its exact location. Holland quips, to avoid all of us looking like Robson. As he says this, two aliens tumble violently from a rooftop into the street in front of them. The seven men are stunned by the sight. The predator and hunter get to their feet and sling their projectile weapons to the ground. The predator unsheaths two menacing-looking blades from his wrist unit, while the hunter unfurls sickle-like extensions from its forearms. Ignoring each other for a moment, the aliens turn to face the humans, who are paralytic. Dismissing their audience, the aliens charge at one another, engaging in a violent melee. Worth raises his gun and points it at the fray, screaming, Orders? Jones does the same, but fires a few rounds, injuring the hunter. In the blink of an eye, the hunter projects one of its sickle appendages at Jones, lodging it into his head. Jones spins around, his hand tightening and rounds firing randomly. Bird catches one of the stray bullets in the calf and falls to the ground. All at once, the horn sound from earlier chimes. Holland orders the group to secure Bird and they retreat into a nearby building. The predator, seemingly angered by the hunter's actions, fights with increased ferocity and finally decapitates his enemy. From within the building, the men watch as the predator looks over the headless body and removes something before looking over towards Jones's twitching corpse and then toward the men, peering out from the open windows. 
He cocks his head, clicking slightly before leaping onto the rooftop and vanishing. Going into shock, Bird starts shouting. Brady controls him while Fisher and Holland argue about why they didn't just kill the alien. Simmons supports Holland's argument that something isn't right. Dutch said these beings have a twisted sense of honour and will only hunt those who appear to be a threat. Worth says they're armed to the teeth and pretty goddamn threatening. Holland finally lashes out at the group, asserting his authority, prompting the rest of the squad to comply. Simmons wonders if the second set of aliens are at odds with the Predators. He adds that the only trophy being taken is from the aliens, not the human victims. Worth adds, what, we're not good enough for them anymore? Brady calmly says, probably not. Bird, calmer than before, but still quite rational, blurts out, so this is just some kind of alien cage match. Great, just great. Fisher binds Bird's wounds and explains he will stay with him. Holland says they'll all stay together. While Dutch said the Predator likes the challenge, these new hunters clearly operate on a different level. Slowly leaving the building, the men make their way over to the body of their fallen comrade. Holland takes the dog tags and they move off. Worth is last to follow. Noticing the pouch with the neon powder, he takes it and stows it in his backpack. As they make their way to the meteor site, it's clear that Bird's wound is slowing them all down. Begrudgingly, Holland lets Fisher watch over him and says they will circle back in a few hours. Holland and his men head on and finally reach the damn meteor. The object itself is ginormous, and Simmons doesn't understand how something this big made an impact without creating mammoth tidal waves and immense tectonic damage. Brady says, either way, we have a job to do, and opens a satchel pack with C4 explosives. Back in the town, Bird and Fisher are scrambling to get away from a hunter relentlessly stalking them. Rather than actually killing them, it seems the hunter is merely baiting and toying with them like a cat. Eventually, a predator appears and starts to fight the hunter. The predator appears to have the upper hand before the hunter inhales an extreme amount of powder and carves open the predator's stomach. Feeling victory is assured, the hunter gets up to leave, but the predator grabs the hunter by his ankle and holds up a cylindrical device. The hunter flails and hacks at the predator's arm, but to no avail, as both the aliens, the onlooking humans, and a fair few houses are vaporised in a violent explosion. Hearing the detonation, the group dash back to the town, leaving several blinking devices attached to the rock. There is a moment of stillness and isolation as a wide shot details black smoke rising from the settlement, dwarfed by the mountain range behind it. Chaotic scenes of aliens stalking alien juxtapose the tranquility of the previous shot, and it becomes evident that the human contingent is clumsily reacting to everything around them, but are never really directly involved. Holed up in an abandoned building, Holland breathes heavily. Alone, he allows himself a moment of quiet panic, realising that he and his men may not survive an encounter where they are little more than collateral damage. In the stillness, Holland notices the outline of a hidden predator scoping the street. We see a POV shot of the, as the predator cycles through different viewing filters. For a moment, we see the shape of a hunter moving from one building to another, and realise that they must be cold-blooded as they do not appear on the thermal scanners. The predator's vision shifts to the left as he sees a large red glowing pattern. Holland tenses up as the Predator moves closer. Deactivating his camouflage, the Predator inspects Holland's rifle. Frowning, Holland cautiously raises the gun for the Predator to look at it. Starting to understand, Holland mutters, The scope? You want to use the scope? The Predator pushes the gun towards Holland, who interprets the request. Holland scans the horizon and relays the information as if he were talking to one of his own men. He tracks the movements of a hunter as it climbs the wall and enters a bell tower. The Predator stares blankly at the man who then uses simple hand gestures to illustrate the target's whereabouts. The Predator slaps Holland on the arm, clearly a little too forcefully, reactiv- reactivates his camouflage, and disappears. A few seconds later, Worth barrels through the door, Holland readying but then quickly stowing his weapon. Worth jokes that he finally gets how civilians feel when units like theirs turn up and to fight insurgent militia. Holland confesses he hates that they are simply caught in the crossfire, but feels the Predators aren't as much of a threat and understands Dutch's respect for them. Worth further jokes that they should just pick a side and help them. Holland looks at Worth, cogs whirring in his head. Worth replies, you're not serious. In the bell tower, the hunter alien peers down its strange scoped rifle, noting the humans regrouping but largely ignoring them. 
The hunter tenses up slightly as a guttural tone emanates from behind it. Deftly lunging out of the way, the hunter narrowly dodges a bolt from the predator's shoulder blaster, which hurtles out of the window and into the distance. The two aliens shoot at each other before the predator finally shoulder barges the hunter out of the window. Both creatures tumble out, but the predator uses his wrist blade to save himself from plummeting. The hunter hits the floor with an almighty thud, but survives the initial impact. That is, until the predator launches from the building and uses its body weight and the extended blaze to finish the hunter off. Back in the deserted building, Holland explains to the regroup Brady, Simmons and Worth that they can help kill the ones they can see. Brady asks what's, what is stopping the predators from simply killing them once the hunters are dead. Holland admits that he doesn't know, but they stand a better chance of surviving this way. Both Robson and Jones were killed by hunters, but the horn must work like some sort of civilian casualty penalty. Worth, growing increasingly fear- frustrated, says this isn't a game. Simmons retorts, clearly it is to them. Separating into pairs, Holland and Simmons, Brady and Worth, fan out in search for the hunters. Brady and Worth are the first to encounter a hunter, which puts up a decent fight against the hail of bullets, but is eventually subdued by the men. Happy the aggressor is dead, Brady walks over and starts inspecting the body. Worth quips about feeding the... Worth quips about feeling up the corpse before Brady holds up a small metal disc. Worth asks what it is, and Brady confesses he doesn't know, he just saw the predator claiming it after Jones was killed, so takes it as his own trophy. Worth similarly walks over, snaps off a jagged protrusion from the alien's face, and proudly states, fucking A. In the town square, Holland and Simmons opens fire on a hunter. Cutting to a predator's thermal vision, we watch the bullet trajectory as the hot metal lodges itself in the hunter's carcass. Using this as a marker, the predator lines up his shoulder cannon and fires. Humans watch as the fizzing bolt punches through the hunter's chest and the alien drops to the floor. Brady and Worth reconvene with Holland and Simmons as the predator calmly walks over to the body. Another predator removes his camouflage and the two communicate with each other, counting something in their hands. Worth, quickly catching on, nudges Brady who rolls his eyes then whistles. Predators turn as Brady flicks the hexagonal disc toward them. Worth chuckles, should have broken off a tusk like me. Brady jokes, for all you know, that's his dick. (laughs) The smirk quickly leaves Worth's face. Simmons asks, what now? As the aliens calmly walk towards the meteor, Holland responds, I guess we follow them. Four humans and two predators arrive at the meteor. The aliens inspecting the explosive devices. The larger of the two predators feels the surface carefully before punching a hole, revealing a console. Pressing a series of keys, the console lights up and the predators insert the tokens. The meteor immediately cracks, and the Predators remove their helmets. Brady leans over to Simmons, stating they are ugly motherfuckers. Hey, yeah. we both have the same reference in that. Yeah, we do. Oh, it's, yeah. it's the, be- it's the best. Yep. Has to be done. That line is so good. As the meteor cracks, the Predators roar at the rock and run for cover. The humans, confused, do the same. Watching on, Holland tells the group to blow the charges, but before they can, a mammoth insectoid beast breaks free. Simmons shouts to the group that it wasn't a random meteor, but a coated transport. The 20-foot creature tears through the town, ripping through buildings. Stunned, the surviving humans turn to their leader for instructions. Holland shakes his head, finally understanding that these hunter- the hunters and predators were merely squaring off, and whoever won the skirmish got to fight this thing. This new beast is the real trophy. Brady explains they should leave as quickly as possible, but Simmons says they can't let something like that loose in the wild. After a brief weapons check, the men charge into battle, taking up positions and opening fire on the monstrous creature. Just because this is an enormous paragraph. Mm-hmm. Do you want to jump in? Because I apparently yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where are we? We're out to the Predators. Right. Hang on, why don't we get into my key not being shit position? Go okay. ahead. The Predators do the same, but opt for hand-to-hand combat. Worth opens his pack and produces the neon powder. Sensing this could be the end, he snorts a fair amount and feels his body immediately kick into berserker mode. Everyone watches as a wide-eyed Worth charges headlong at the alien, a huge knife drawn. With impressive agility and skill, he hacks away at the insect, inflicting a surprisingly significant amount of damage. 
Eventually, as the substance takes a clear toll on Worf's body as his veins inflate before he explodes spectacularly. Shortly after this, one of the predators is flicked aside by the beast's thorax and is impaled on a building's exposed steel support. Brady, Holland and Simmons move in for the kill, the beast lunging and slashing at them. Needing to reload, Brady changes his magazine but is cut in half by the beast in the process. With a mighty swipe, the flailing insects swat at the remaining attackers, sending them all flying. The last predator gets to his feet and coaxes the insect to bite him before hacking at the gigantic beast more. Eventually, the insect eviscerates the predator and moves in for the kill on the semi-conscious humans. The insect becomes distracted by a distant sound. All of a sudden, a helicopter appears over the town, a spinning minigun charging up. Manning the gun is Dutch, who quips, Uninvited guests really bug me. Before pulling the trigger and peppering the alien with, with a hail of bullets. The helicopter circles the beast, which is unable to defend itself against the shower of gunfire. The monster climactically crashes into one of the buildings, its pummeled body oozing from the open entry point wounds while the helicopter lands in the background. Holland and Simmons run over to Dutch, who explains he set up a secondary post a few miles away and ready to support once the first explosion went off. Holland reports to his commanding officer, but notes individuals getting off the chopper and heading towards the wounded, dying predator. Holland wants to know what's going on, but Dutch simply says he wants to have a talk with the creature, predator to predator. Holland looks concerned as the camera pulls back, fade into black. That was that was awesome. I like the um, I like the predators versus aliens that aren't aliens. Yeah, thank you. Going Thanks. On. I think I this is that the thing. was a lot of fun. This is a really good start to a season two. Yeah, I think two we got really some solid pictures. Really, really solid. Very, very, very different pictures, which is a really nice thing to have. Yeah. And yet we both have callbacks yeah. to the yes, and we predators. both had the predators teaming up with humans yep. against yes. the third party. Yeah. Yeah. Like and um, yeah. and the word eviscerated features <laughs> yes. of our yeah. pictures, which are and motherfucker. Yeah. So and uh, neither yeah. of us had Gary Boosie, which yeah. I think well, is a win for humanity. There's a hundred percent less Gary Boosie. I'm in not this. gonna lie, <laughs> I completely forgot Gary Boosie. I don't know how, but I completely forgot Gary Boosie was in Predators Two. So when we think of Castle, Gary Boosie, I guess. And the, oh wait, no, no, <laughs> what? There is a distinct absence of Boosie in either of these, which I'm really happy about. Yeah. Yeah, could could use some some Jake Busey if it was set years later. He was yeah. Gary Busey made a good um, son, Buddy Holly. He's Buddy Holly, isn't he? <laughs> I do like Jake Busey. Actually, <laughs> he's got yeah. Frighteners and yeah. Starship yeah. Troopers. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Frighteners. Yeah, Frighteners. Yeah. Good film. So over to to catch a predator or multiple predators, or even to catch a pred alien, if you will. No, we won't. That sounds hard. That does sound quite difficult. Although Basically, our guys did it, to be fair. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a little help my, from their friends. My question is, is it a newly designed Predalien? Do you have an idea of what it would look like? Or are you using the kind of thing they did for AVP, the movie? D- Obviously, I, uh, 90s for, instead for, of 2000s. The, I don't think the thing they did for AVP 2 was terrible. It's fine. But I think yeah. you'd want to tweak it. I'd, mm. I think it needs to be a bit bigger and scarier. Okay. That's my thing. Because yeah, you had beefier. it like tearing through the city it's so exactly. yeah, it's, it's got to thing. look wrong wow. and meaty and more more like a more like an actual uh, giga alien which the yeah, pred okay. alien doesn't really the pred yes. alien is much more of a, of a predator does it even have a tail i don't remember if it, if it does. you mentioned you mentioned that in the pitch and i was like does it originally have a tail i can't remember i don't think it does, don't think it, does. No. No. Right. it just has the and then the mouth yeah, and the double mouth yeah, yeah. yeah. lazy Vagi- vagina mouth and then inside mm. tongue mouth and bleh. Yeah. The more I think about it, actually, the more I dislike that design. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's basically. I'm not that keen on that design, mm. and I wondered if you guys had had a conscious yeah, decision. No, yeah. The fact that you haven't seen it, Stuart, probably doesn't help. But I'm sure you've seen the. Oh yes, so yeah, I'm yeah. fully aware. You are a nerd, therefore. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, I think I think we wanted to go much more more 
uh, Giga with it, much more classic alien, because you don't see a normal alien in there either. So it, it needs to do that just yeah, to... Yeah, at no point mm, see the actual yeah. xenomorph. You see chestburster face hugger that's it and then yeah. pred alien yeah so so it needs to be uh, iconic enough that you can go that's an alien because even though the clues are there there will be some people like what bigger beefier alien so today 200 percent more penis then basically <laughs> well 200 percent more phallic yeah exactly because yeah. giga because yeah, yeah. giga mm-hmm. he likes the penis Oh, God, not this again. Red Alien is just four penises connected. <laughs> no, that's the Batmobile. I get the it right. Batmobile. The Dickmobile. Jesus God, Christ. dear. You guys definitely mashed up the first Alien vs. Predator, the bit of Requiem that isn't shit, i.e. the Pred Alien, and Predator 2 all kind of mashed up together. Because that then means they can't make any of those films. <laughs> that's, that was my point. Yeah, yep. you've basically cancelled out them doing a bad AVP. This in the was our X Men like Days of Future Past. Going back and fixing. <laughs> but I guess also because as we've sort of hinted at in the beginning discussion, there are okay elements in these films. Yeah, I think there was enough stuff we could salvage. AVP, yeah. yeah, and and yeah, you know, like we said, Predator Two isn't that bad. And uh, as Tom kind of mentioned earlier, I thought you guys were going to stick fairly true and basically like the more traditional sequel eyes of just like fix that movie, not completely scrap it and do something new like the other guys did have it more like, this is our Predator 2. It's still got Danny Glover. It's still got this. We set it in New York, so it's a slight little twist, but actually tweak it a little bit. And then you went, fuck you, it's AVP halfway through. And yeah, that was, yeah. A, that yeah. was a ballsy. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Yeah. And again, I, I can imagine blowing our minds in cinemas. As soon as you said that, and the body starts convulsing, I was like, I don't know if you guys saw my eyes wide. <laughs> yeah, we all. <laughs> oh, I love some no. convulsing. Also, <laughs> oh, you're Welsh now for some reason. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the thing about Predator 2 is you could take that synopsis of it from the actual film, and if you gave them enough time and money to make it properly, I think it would probably be quite good. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I've got a question about the choice of Catherine Bigelow, and what do you American think... American Gigolo. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's oh, okay. Hell. What do you think she would bring to the project? Like... I've seen Point Break and what was the other movie you guys mentioned? Near Dark. Her Near Dark skills. Near Dark is fantastic. I would yeah. agree with that. Near Dark is a really and I underrated think film. It's also got this kind of darkened, grimy aesthetic to it. Mm. That um, uh, I also New York is quite. A bit, that, I agree with that. So because obviously LA, you got that, that as we mentioned earlier, the the screen, the sun blaze sort of screen and things like that, and it feels very much like a. a Bleach dystopia and things like that, but New York is an old city and a lot of dark corners yeah. and things yeah. like that. A lot That's exactly more... why we went for it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and a bit more gothic. I think we wanted a bit of Gotham in there because there's, there's. I definitely got the Batman vibe at the there's beginning. There's a couple yeah, of yeah. nods there to um, yeah, yeah. To, to and Tim Bigelow Batman. on uh, Strange Days did catch mm. that mm. later on. Maybe she learnt it making predators. Um, I, yeah, and I also think she's good with like actual character dynamics. We didn't want. We didn't want the um, the the woodenness that you get in Predator Two. We wanted there. That's why we have that scene in the bar because you want these characters yeah. to have a bit more of, of weight to them and a bit more backstory. Basically, what um, works in Predator One? Yeah, that you feel these guys are a team. Yeah, and they've mm. always been a team. And she goes on to do such great things. I mean, she kind of 
nails several fantastic kind of like groups of of proficient military men or you know in this case policemen on a mission things in sort of the Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty sort of later on in yeah, the yeah. so I could well imagine that given the opportunity she'd really nail that not that I'm answering your question or anything but you know well, thanks because that's a much better answer than we can <laughs> yeah. hey, we're all friends here quickly pay Tom his five pounds <laughs> bribe money the future episodes of sequelizers we should be we should have to answer each other's <laughs> questions cross-examination yeah. why did you this i don't know hey, everyone in the feedback stupid. web episode wanted like crazy new rounds so you know this would mm. be it this is it this is our compromise and our a predators. question that i can kind of address to both of you in a weird way mm-hmm. it could be me not picking up on information from predator one mm-hmm. but but all of your well both of your main characters all of your characters jump to the conclusion of aliens pretty quickly mm. rather than it being like an animal or something or some or some guy in a weird suit or something like that because it's never explicitly stated in the first one that it's extraterrestrial is it yeah but in our pitch they've seen them both of the characters who believe they're alien things have seen them and that's why they believe them. they are very x-files there's a lot of things that's probably going on over the years i imagine in their thing from our side of things it's uh Dutch having worked on this for multiple years forming teams and quite openly saying yeah it's aliens it's definitely aliens how do you know that With this one um, he's late... the Giorgio Sukhlos of yeah. this you know, and it's, it's one of those yeah, yeah, yeah exactly it's an ancient and... aliens reference for the you know, listeners yeah but at the same time he's you know the, um, uh, is it Maria son I can't remember the character now unfortunately Anna Anna Anna, Anna thank you from the first one it's Anna yes she explains about these people come and they visit these, the sort of mythology side of things i imagine he would do a lot of research dive into that and find all these different things all over the world and loads and, and would come to the conclusion over the you know period of time that it's aliens because yeah. avp literally turns into ancient aliens with like it's all pyramids yeah. and stuff yeah, it's Aztecs and bullshit yeah, and, no yeah now this is just that they just use our our planet as a stadium because yeah. it's got a nice uh, again i like the idea that if you've got like a lot of other planets, it's like this planet is barren. This planet is an ice planet. This planet is this because of the nature of where they are in different solar systems. This is like this has a lot of different vari- various environments. You're going for the Star Wars thing of each kind. planet has one climate apart from Earth. Effectively, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, the Earth is kind of uh, inhabited by a bunch of really kind of obstropolous, quite amusing, I'd imagine, to toy with humans. So uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah. I think there was um, uh, something about it. Uh, because that also kind of resonated with with ours. This idea that mankind is just inherently aggressive and therefore mm. fun to hunt. Yeah, yeah. The ultimate, the ultimate prey. Whereas in our one as well, the idea that they're just literally in the grounds of the, and almost like if you hunt a human, you get this 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 penalty, this casualty. Saying right, you went for the arguably easy slash difficult option of not focusing on what you were supposed to be doing, and these drug huffing aliens. Because um, again, nineteen ninety, drugs are bad. War on drugs. Um, in different form for you guys with the individual the drug kingpin sort of thing but um yeah the idea that you know it's like you're not so much don't hunt the humans but it's like it's harder or more of a challenge if you're in a hostile environment and you're not allowed to hurt the things that are hurting you yeah like trying to shift someone in a in a prison yard and the wardens you can't beat them up i guess one question nice. for you what do you imagine that your aliens look like did uh, you give a brief description we would completely defer to the genius that is stan winston because the impression i got mm-hmm. and you're gonna appreciate this star trek reference four Matthew. dicks four Giant dicks strapped together right. yeah sorry go ahead yeah the voyager herogen versus oh, species 8472 which is very much the their yeah, parody of the predator say... xenomorph dynamic because the herogen are basically budget predators yes for true. tv mm-hmm. and that's basically what i was imagining the whole time was the for those of you who know star trek voyager yeah that kind of thing 
I'll be honest with you, we don't actually think we ever came up with anything physically ourselves. It would literally be a case of Winston, come up with something good. That literally Because we're be technically it. in this, as has been addressed in the uh, feedback episode, we're just kind of role playing as the writers. Mm. So we can come or up the with the quantum something. leaping writers, yeah. And yes. We're in the yeah. hands of a good, st- of, of, of the same team who came up with, well, in the, you know, on the same, but I think they should recreate the same situation where they, there's a plane ride over with James Cameron. And it's like, so uh, I'm working on this new species. You got any ideas? I always want to see someone with mandibles. Oh, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> and you just have this and other things. Just, All the mandibles. Oh, yeah. You feel like a bum mandible? Oh, sorry, James. You've had a bad. You know what I really like to see? <laughs> Blue cats. Um, nope. Nope. Not written that, write that down. It's not the Narvi. Um, yeah, so I, I genuinely couldn't ask that question. Um, I would like to think something slightly insectoid. Um, okay, put it this way. In the early 90s, there was a Giver film. A Giver live-action film based on the uh, anime manga property and stuff yeah. like that. And that sort of very 90s, scaly-ass armor, Japanese sort of style thing. I would personally like to see that, which makes it sim- sort of similar in the way that the Predators are a little bit similar to humans. And this is a little bit similar to the big insect thing that smashes out. And Okay. Can yes. I- so big, bad beetle balls. Yes. Hey, <laughs> and um, No. Can I just say, if uh, there are any sequelizers listeners out there that can <laughs> draw much better than I can... Uh, we know that you're out there. Yeah, I know a couple of you personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then please draw whatever the fuck Matt just said. Seriously, and make uh, we will happily like award this is the best design. This is it going forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It might even end up in our sequelizers book that may, may or may not happen at some point in, oh, yeah, in, in yeah. the future. Mm. Or we'll just line it up. Yeah. No, you won't, because we'll have to pay you. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sorry, yeah, no mind. Yeah, we won't be doing that. We'll just look at it funny. Well, that's good. Speaking of designs, this may be another redundant question if you're just going to oi Winston do it. Mm-hmm. Go on. The insectoid thing. I basically pictured the Cloverfield monster. Oh no. Oh no no. I, I pictured, oh fuck no. I pictured okay. the uh the big thing. Sort of I mean, I pictured it a little bit like the big personally in my sort of headcanon mm. as it were. I pictured it to be a little bit kind of like not entirely because it's too lumbering, but a little bit like that big beast in Starship Troopers that <gasps> That's they... what I was picturing as yeah, the brain bug. No, no no, the the, uh, the one that the scarab one, the scarab one that breathes yeah. fire. I, oh, I was, I was, I was, the brain bug. I was on the same wavelength as you. That was kind of what I was picturing. Um, yeah, I think to be fair, it's one of those things as well with regards to design because it's going to be quite a difficult effect to achieve. But I think Predator has the budget. Well, would you know afforded the budget for it, especially. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I, I think that's the thing, and not to, to that awful cop out of yeah, they'll do a good job. Don't worry about it. But um, effectively speaking... They'll do a good job, don't worry do, about it. Yeah, good job, don't worry about it, yeah, exactly. I so was thinking of the fire bug. Yeah, the brain yeah, yeah. bug can barely walk. Yeah, yeah the brain bug. Oh, slug. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a big slug yeah. with a knife no. hand. No, yeah, I think it would be appendage. literally just draw on nature and just see some interesting stuff. Like, again, like, literally just draw on nature, get a big picture. Yeah, just draw. find... Would you um, got a trace over like, some other bugs? And a Kabuto. I've, got, I've got, a sketch, got a sketch of a dick on a leaf. Can you make that into an alien? It's called a caterpillar. He's nailed it, boys. Close the contact us down funnily enough when you had the uh like meteor crack open i thought you'd gone avp as well oh and the xenomorph was about to bust out and i was like oh okay yeah i was kind of hoping for alien like blown your load and kind of no no i'll be honest with you i don't think alien ever crossed our mind at all did you you purposefully avoid that was yeah i um, I mean, it, I mean, I think we discussed AVP and a. We discussed it just because we were drawing on what yeah, was and not I, working. And I think ones. that yeah, I think that we sort of. I don't think we ever explicitly vetoed it, but I don't think it was ever on the table to actually include some I, of the aliens. First person, yeah. I figured that you'd not gone down that route the instant that Hicks and Apone were in your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other theory I had about you guys, as you were talking about, and I, and I joked about it, as you were joking about the 
hunter species. Hmm. I thought you'd only had one hunter up here so far, and it was going to be Dutch. He was going to take the helmet <laughs> off. It was going to have Arnold Schwarzenegger underneath it. And he was all like drugged up and crazy, and it was just him. Was it just he was steroided drugged. out? And, was and then you British. blew up one of them, and I'm like, right, it's not no. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay, it really is another alien species. Yeah. I thought it was just like they keep thinking it's multiple people, but it's just Schwarzenegger <laughs> on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, my I mean, pitch, my pitch is your pitch. Plus, Schwarzenegger yeah. is under the mask the whole time, uh, yeah. and it ends with Schwarzenegger dressed like a predator really like, fighting a xenomorph. You really like Scooby Doo endings, don't you? <laughs> On the Empire State Building. On the yeah. Empire State Building. So basically, no If two. I bleeds, I can kill it. <laughs> so I guess it's about time I render my decision for the first tricky, episode. We wipe tricky. the slate clean, even though team formerly known as Street Sharks, aka Apex Predators, won the first won. season. Mm. For episode one of season two, I'm going to choose to catch a predator. Congratulations with your Thank AVP you. Predator 2 mashup. I think that was well deserved. I think that was a really good yeah. pitch. I, I, I was, I, I was impressed good. by the curveball. Yeah, that was really yeah. nice. Yeah. So congratulations to catch a predator. Thank you very much. You're one Thank up you. for season um, two. I will also say that the artist formerly known as Street Sharks delivered a mighty fine pitch that I Thank thoroughly you. enjoyed in yeah, this episode. Thanks. So since you guys won, Stuart Ashen, how can people find you on the internet? They can't. I'm hiding. <laughs> but if they look hard, they could just Google Ashens and they will find everything. And I mean everything. <laughs> Mr. Plowman, over to you. I am Alec underscore Plowman on Twitter. You can find uh, all of my stuff at www.alecplowman.com. I'm in a band with the fine host of the show, Mr. Jack Chambers. Uh, we are called Monster City, and you can find out all about us and our musics at www.monstercityband.com. Mr. Matthew Stogden of the Apex Predators. Hey. Where can people find you? You can go to the redrighthand.co.uk, uh, where I write my reviews. You can go to cheeseminute.com, where we make films. You can go to Twitter, Instagram, the usual crap, and search for S-T-O-G-H-Z, which is Stogs. Or you can activate your thermal vision, and I am very warm, and you will find me, and I'm behind you. And finally, over to you, Mr. Tom Martin. Uh, yeah, so uh, when I'm not sequelizing, I'm making films, and you can find uh, my website uh, for my production company called Forward at www.weareforward.uk. And if you want to go and follow us on all the social stuff on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we usually post some p- interesting pictures of us, you know, holding cameras and pretty pictures. So if that's your kind of thing, you can find us on at Made by Forward on all of those aforementioned social things. And like Matthew, I'm a very warm individual. So yeah, thermal vision, thermal camera. You'll find us. You can follow me at JLW Chambers on basically everything. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Of course, you can follow the show. We are Sequelizers. Sequelizers at gmail.com is the email address to go to at Sequelizers on Twitter, etc, etc. You probably know this by now if you've heard season one. Coming up in the next episode, mm. episode two of season two, it's quite the thematic departure from Predator 2, Hugely. one could say. Yeah. We are tackling 1998's Blues Brothers 2000. First, there were the Blues Brothers. Now there are 2,000 of them. <laughs> Blues Brothers Army. Blues Brothers, Mum. You need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs>